we've seen how Jesus is greater than angels, right? We've talked about that. Jesus, he got into Hebrews. Jesus is greater than the angels. Um, and then uh, uh, he, he, sits, he sits at the right hand of God. He, he is, he's not... Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Why did I write this? Yeah, he is not a creation of God. He is God. And so there's something very different in, in, in terms of, uh, of Jesus. He, he is God, and he is worshipped by the angels. So he's greater than the angels. And we've seen how Jesus is greater than Moses, right? We know that he's greater than Moses. Moses was a, a servant of God. Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, today we, we will look at the, uh, the greater high priest, and, uh, and that's kind of my, my, my introduction here. I was thinking about it, by the way, going to just kind of diverge for a moment. As, as, we, were, um, as we were listening to our, our focus on Elizabeth there for a moment, and, and, uh, and I was just thinking about Caleb. You know, Caleb, have you ever met Caleb? Um, Caleb is kind of one of those guys, he's like very stern, everything's got to be just right. You know, and, and, uh, and just watch him, though. I mean, he's trying to be that way with Elizabeth. Have you noticed that, right? You know, he's, I've got to be stern. She's got to obey. And, um, but, but you notice something about Elizabeth that, there, that, that nobody else has this right. Perhaps, perhaps Samantha. But, but other than that, nobody else has this right. And that is that when, when Elizabeth wants something, she wants attention, she wants to walk into the room, Caleb just kind of like welcomes her. He melts when she comes into the presence. He, he, he loves her. And, uh, and I, what, what we do in coming into the presence of God is, is kind of works like that. God somehow lets us into his presence. We're going to look at that today as we look at, um, at uh, Jesus, the, the greater high priest. And I want you to look in, in uh, chapter 4 of the book of Hebrews. Ha- chapter 4 of the book of Hebrews. And uh, I love Hebrews. I have, this happens to be one of my many favorite verses, passages, so it's always, it's always good to go to your favorite passages. Um, the book of four of chapter of, of Hebrews, and, and let's just kind of read together for a moment. Hebrews beginning with uh, four, beginning with verse fourteen, um, just right towards the end of the chapter. There, verse fourteen, he says, "Since then, we have a, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession." For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every aspect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every, continue verse 1, for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, 
but was appointed by him, him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, after the order, order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Father, we come before you, Lord, we know that your word, as it speaks volumes to us, and, and, and you intend to communicate with us through this word. Lord, help us to understand, help us to apply, and help us to walk out of here uh, knowing more and more internalizing this as a part of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is the greater high priest. He's a greater high priest. Um, actually, that word, well, I'll talk to you about that in a minute. The, you know the Levitical high priest, right? The Levitical high priest through, passed through the veil each year to make atonement and went into a place that was unseen by men. So he would pass through, and Jesus passed through the heavens, the Scripture tells us. Jesus passed through the heavens. The Levitical priest passed through basically the temple and went into the Holy of Holies once a year. In Acts 1, we see Jesus ascending into heaven or the heavens, really, but through the clouds. And while, while his disciples looked on in amazement, perhaps a little bit of bewilderment, like, where's he going? What's going on here? And, and like the priest, the high priest, he, Jesus was entering into the real, the true, holy of holies. That's what was taking place there. He also went up there where he was no longer seen by men, but went into that holy place and made, had made the final sacrifice that was needed for, for man's sins. The, the, the uh, Levitical priest did that every year, every year. One time, went in there and he made that offering. But it was not enough because he himself had these his own sin problems. Now, now, what Jesus said, nobody else had ever done. What he did, he, no one had touched before. And uh, the, the closest that we could say in the Old Testament would be maybe uh, Elijah. You know, Elijah was taken up, remember? But Jesus didn't need chariots and horses. He just went, ascended into the heavens. And so this uh, Jesus passed through the heavenly veil to the unseen holiest place once and for all. He took care of that, that long-term need that we've had uh, we had all through history. Now, the Levitical priests were weak and sinful, likely to succumb to the temptations common to mankind. They needed, they needed some uh, near-constant sacrifices, just like the people they served. We need that too, right? We need a constant. We need something because, I don't know about you, but I hate to say daily. I hate to say almost all the time, but we sin, right? I sin. We do wrong against God. We have this, this, this problem. Um, it's kind of like so different from Jesus. Jesus lived a very human life, didn't he? Jesus lived a, a, and faced temptation, but he what did not sin. He had no sin. 
We, on the other hand, have a sin nature. We kind of walked into this world sinning. I, did Elizabeth sin when she first came out? Yeah, pretty close. I know, I know my kids. I mean, one of my kids, I think he was doing it before. You know, at least that's what Elise would say. He's picking on me. But, you know, I mean, when they come out, they immediately think of self. You know, take care of my needs. Mom, feed me. You know, with always that kind of thing. And we, we have this sin nature. And uh, I, you, know, you don't like me to say that about your daughter. She is so precious. Don't get me wrong. I think she's wonderful. But, but, she already has that sin nature in her. And um, <laughs> given an option, we succumb to temptation often. Even willingly. You know, I kind of think of, I think of things and, and then I try to figure out a way to do it without, you know, Facing the consequences, don't you do that? Yeah. Well, I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to tell you where those are because that just is too much, uh, too personal. Uh, but the beautiful truth is, the beautiful truth is that Jesus, the Scripture says, sympathizes with our weakness. Now, see, I, you can't think of a perfect, holy God sympathizing with our weakness. A most powerful God who sympathizes, He identifies with, He feels with us. That's what it really means. He feels with us when we are tempted and weak. Why? Well, this is sympathy, by the way, that's more than even the earthly priest. The earthly high priest could muster up. You know, now, he's, the Scripture tells us that that high priest knew our sin. He also was beset by the same sins. But because of that, he also has no way of completely identifying with us because it is he too can't seem to get out of that. He can do nothing for us himself. What he does is a symbol of what Jesus was about to, what Jesus did for us. And uh, I, now I know that that priest, the local the the, the human priest, uh, earthly priest, the Levitical priest, he, uh, he can have some of that common feeling, but I think he's too busy dealing with his own feelings. And so sometimes we talk about, you know, we talk about the priest and the priesthood of the believer. We'll talk about that a little bit. But, um, but if I'm focused on my own feelings, I'm not too busy. I'm not able to completely focus on yours and help you with yours. Uh, people are caught up in sin. I, I can truly sympathize with them to a point. Maybe I can help them. Maybe I can help them, but my temptations may be different than theirs. And I'm like, I don't, well, what do I do with this? And those that aren't different, uh, maybe I fail to resist them myself. How do I help? The sinless Jesus, the sinless Jesus is able to offer real answers. And this is what I find in this passage so promising. He offers real answers from Power for resistance to forgiveness and failure. We need those real answers. Now, wouldn't it be ideal if we always focused on that first one? The power for resistance. Uh, I, would, I wish that in my life, all through my life, especially after coming to Christ, wouldn't that have been nice if I'd always depended on the power He offered for resistance and never sinned again? But when I do, I have that forgiveness and failure. We know, of course, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess, with our, uh, confess our sins, He is faithful and just, right? To forgive us our sins, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Um, now, the earthly 
priest, by the way, was not all bad. He just couldn't complete the job. The lesser high priest. I'm going to jump down to verse 1 in chapter 5. Um, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. You see, the lesser high priest provides a stopgap level of help. The Levitical high priest is taken from among men, selected with the best possible credentials. Still, he is just a man. He offers gifts and sacrifices according to the law, but he too is subject to the same needs, as we said, as the people he serves. On the positive side, the priest can be gentle, restraining, that is, his his emotions, his own emotions. After all, he himself is weak. The wording here, by the way, is is kind of strong and oppressive. Weakness is is a present power over him. Think about that. Picture your priest now. He's, He's... Okay, don't mean to be gory, but he's, he's butchering animals. He's slicing, slicing animals and draining the blood out and putting these things on the altar. And he's, he's, doing, he's carrying out all of these, these very worldly, earthly things. And, uh, and, and so he kind of he gets it. And perhaps he might be even a little bit frustrated with how much he has to do that. I digress just a little bit, but can you imagine? Now we take this little this time of the Lord's Supper, and we 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 see that as kind of a symbol of the sacrifice of Jesus. But sometimes we don't think about that serious. Sometime, now the Maisies knows know about this, but but sometime you ought to just kind of take some time in a butcher's shop and just sit there and spend the day watching the cutting up of the animals and the cutting them apart and setting them apart and contemplate what that priest was doing day after day, year after year and think about the reason he had to do that and that priest had to focus on this. The reason he had to do that was because of the sins of the people. Now, that's work. That's hard. It's bloody. It's messy. You don't like all this, do you? Well, he didn't either. It would get old and say, why do I have to always offer things up? And he could probably sin just a little bit himself in his attitude towards these people that were coming every day with their sacrifices. But like Aaron, the high priest is is called by God. I'm sorry, I wanted to say this too. Weaknesses is that present power over that that priest. He's obligated to offer these sacrifices and for his own sins as well. But Like Aaron, the high priest is called by God. He he cannot simply decide on a career in high priesthood. (laughs) We have that today. In the United States, if you want a career in whatever religious thing you want to do, there's a way to do it. Just go on on the web and you can figure out a way to do it. You can be. I'm certain of this. Uh, I know you can get ordination just by going out there. If you want to be ordained, don't do this. Okay, but you can go out there and and get ordained. Just uh, I forget what it is. Um, uh, I think it's ordained.com or something really great like that. Um, But you can get your papers and have a little official thing. And I'm a priest, or I'm whatever you want to be. Just put it on your your certificate. Well, we know better. You're not really a priest until God has called you. Now that's Old Testament. 
responsible people now in those days and in our days um, confirm the calling. But God does the calling. You see, uh, even, even as we look at things, uh, somebody doesn't become an elder at Renovation Church just because he says, hey, I want to be an elder. You know, um, Somebody doesn't become a missionary that we send out just because they say, hey, I want to be a missionary. Now, the beginning point is God begins to work on their life and change them, but we put people in leadership that are leading. We put people in, in roles that... That we put people as elders who are serving, who are already doing the work, and they just kind of like, aha, we see this in them. We see something in them. Well, that's what they were doing in, in that, those times. Now, every, all the Levites may have been eligible. All the sons of Aaron were considered priests, but they, they had qualifications before they were practicing. And uh, sometimes they had to be removed. We're not going to talk about that today. Now, the greater high priest, the greater high priest, goes beyond the experience of the earthly high priest. Look at verse 5, if, uh, if you will. It says, so, so also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest. Now notice that? Christ didn't exalt himself to that role, but what? But was appointed by him who said to him, today, I mean, you are my son, today I have, forgot, I have begotten you. That was a bad move. Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now while the Levitical high priest was temporary, the greater high priest is eternal. By the way, that word that I'm using for greater, this, this, um, uh, this word that's repeated throughout here is uh, an interesting word in itself. He says you know, that, that Jesus is greater, he's better, he's higher. He, uh, and... Uh, it's a, a, it, because I'm not really a Greek scholar, don't get me wrong here, I don't like to talk about Greek, but since you know the word, I thought I'd use it. It's mega, megan at that case, but, uh, but it's the word we get our mega. So he's the mega high priest, you know? I, I kind of like that feeling, a mega high priest. Jesus is the mega high priest. And so, so here he is, the writer of Hebrews chose to use Melchizedek to explain the uniqueness of Jesus. See, it's not temporary. This is permanent. This is eternal. And, uh, and uh, time will not permit us to dive into Melchizedek today, and I'm not really disappointed in that. But, but, but that, that's for a later message. But simply put, Jesus fulfills the endless mystery of Melchizedek's appearance in Genesis as both king and priest of Salem. Those positions were never together before, but now he kind of puts them uh, when you look at Melchizedek, Melchizedek was both the king and the priest, right? So those two came together in, in, uh, in Melchizedek, but in Jesus, he's fulfilling that completely as the king and the priest. Here we see some of the, uh, the theological depth of the Hebrews. You know, Hebrews, how many of you really understand when you read Hebrews what you're reading? You know, I mean, Hebrews is complicated. And you argue, I argue with it. I argue with it, you know, one way or the other. I'm always arguing with Hebrews. I lose, but I, I still argue with it. Um, but but uh, this depth here, Jesus is God's son, the king priest. He, he, the, the way he carries out this out, though, is significant. I want you to listen carefully to this part. Um, Jesus' priesthood is demonstrated in his 
prayer life. He says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus, verse 7, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. This passage, this verse, is one of those I want to argue with. But I won't do it right now. I want you to hear what it has to say. It was his priesthood was demonstrated in his prayer life. But the specific part of his prayer life, to me, is interesting. It is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Think, where did Jesus raise up the loud cries and the pleas with God? Where, where were the with massive tears coming? But in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, there were some other times, don't get me wrong, where, he, he, where we see some of that. But this is the primary time. There he pleaded with God, what? To let this cup pass from him. And the scripture here in Hebrews says, and he was heard for his... <clears throat> he was heard for his... Um, I'm sorry, I get a word. He was heard for his devotion, I'm sorry, his reverence. His reverence. But now, don't you know the end of the story? Don't you know what happened? After Jesus prayed and was heard, according to the author of Hebrews, Jesus left that point and was tried and was put on the cross and was beaten and was pierced in the side and went through great sufferings. That he was asking, let this cup pass from me. And yet, because of his reverence, the scripture says he was heard. And the answer seems to be no. The result of his prayer was death on the cross. Prayers made his needs known. Was it a need in his life not to go to the cross? I think so. I don't mean I'm not being blasphemous here. I know he I know we needed him to go to the cross. But his need was life, just as you and me would prefer to have life. You and I, anyway. Supplication reflects Christ's posture. That is, his heart attitude of humility and willingness to submit to the Father. Remember, he continues that prayer, nevertheless. He really wasn't told no. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Right? Not my will, but yours. So he had a submission, even in that moment, to the, the, the Father who was in heaven. He pleaded with God, yes, but he had the heart attitude of humility and willingness to submit to the Father. And, and though they were with loud cries and abundant tears, the prayers all also showed humble acceptance of God's perfect will. Now, the troublesome part of this passage is that Jesus was heard but doesn't appear to receive a favorable answer, right? Even, even though the passage says he was heard because of his reverence. This gives us two assurances, by the way, for us. Let's, let's think about our prayer life as we go to our, our most 
holy Lord and how he handled things. First, he was heard even though it didn't seem helpful. You ever pray like that? You ever pray a prayer and you, you, you think, you, you realize, maybe you even realize, yeah, God heard me. I know God heard me. But the answer doesn't come. Second, God did not act. Listen carefully. God did not, and he does not act against his perfect plan. God has a plan. And he doesn't go against his plan. Even though Jesus longed for an easier answer. I don't think that that prayer or Jesus' suffering were anything less than what we do. It was more. It was greater. When I pray from a position of reverence, God hears even when I don't feel it. I also know that as, a, as, as I bend to His will, no matter what the personal cost, He responds appropriately to my supplications. And through His divine interaction and suffering as God's Son, Jesus learned obedience. This does not mean that Jesus was, never, was ever disobedient. That always troubled me. You know, when I read that, it's always troubled me. Oh, well, he learned obedience. You know, sometimes Elizabeth is going to learn obedience the right way. She will. She will, she will listen to you, dad and mom, say, this is what you need to do, and here's why. Even You might even, give, you might even be gracious. Well, Sam will give the, the reason why. I, I'm not so sure if Caleb will, because I said so. You know, we know Caleb, okay? But um, you, you're going to love me, aren't you? You're going to say, afterwards, you're going to say, you used me how many times as a sermon illustration today? It's all right. Um, get me back in, in missional community when you leave. All right. But but she there will be some times that she'll hear that and she will say, you know, because dad and mom seem to know something, I'm going to do the right thing. But there will be some times then when she will you will tell her to do something and she will not obey and you'll have to use correction. All right. I'm not saying. I'm sorry. Just. Don't, I wasn't saying necessarily a spanking, but uh, uh, that's just the way the hand went automatically when I said this, discipline. But Jesus was never disobedient. It means, by the way, that as he went through life, no matter what the challenge or pain involved, he learned that it was always, always best to obey. And guess what? He always did. He always did. Wouldn't, oh man, I wish my kids always did. They're grown up now. So now they always do, right? Well, anyway. We could stop here, by the way, and fall down. Probably should. No, we're okay. And fall down and worship the great high priest. Everything I read there in that, in that passage causes me to think about worshiping Jesus and worshiping him as God because he interceded for me in a special way. He did something I couldn't do for myself. He did it. He was obedient. He lived sinless. Even though he faced the same temptations I faced, he did all those things. And I did it with sin. He did it without sin. I did it unwillingly. He did it willingly. He followed through everything, even to the point of praying and being and, and suffering anyhow. And I, that man, that's worthy of worship. That's worthy. That alone should get me on my knees daily and say, God, I thank you forever and ever and ever that you interceded for me.
And you paid the price for me. And I now pray, not alone, I pray with him at my side so that I don't have, I don't have to be afraid. So let's talk about the, this in, intervention. Let's see. You see, because God, I think, wants to teach us more. The intervention of the great, high, greatest high priest, the mega high priest, requires a response. Look at verse, back in chapter 4, verse 14. He says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the, heaven, the, the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. What does he say? Let us hold fast our confession. I, I was going to bring, I, I was going to do a children's sermon, but I was afraid of the time issue. Um, at least just hold that little sock thing up right there, okay? Just so everybody can see there's a, a sock thing there. You see that sock thing? Okay, that's my children's sermon. All right? Lovely, right? Children's sermon. Wait, maybe I should get that. Hang on, let me just, just come get that. If I mess up something, you just got to... You know, do you have, I mean, have a dog? you have a dog? you like dogs? I like dogs as long as there's somebody else's. Um, I don't want to have to wash. It's kind of like kids. You know, I, I kind of, I like, I, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. It's a joke, all right? For those of you who don't have a sense of humor, just kind of blow it off, say, blow it off. You know, he's, he's a turkey. Um, but, but what, what, you know, little, little, the, the sock is a, was, I, I remember certain dogs that like socks for toys, you know. And uh, they chew on them, and they, you know, especially these kind, you know, they have a little balled up socks inside it. And I love to play with dogs and, and play like tug of war with them. You know, you know I don't put it in my mouth. They put it in their mouth, okay? <laughs> and, and, and there's that tug of war going on, right? And, and I love that because what that, what that told me and I thought about is, is that, they, that that dog is grabbing hold and holding on. And this word that he says, hold on, what does he say? Um, hold fast uh, to, to the truth. Hold fast, I'm sorry, hold fast to our confession. He says to hold fast. That dog is holding fast. Now, that begins by grabbing a hold. And so that word, hold fast, is the grabbing action and not letting go. And, I, you know, the, the cool thing about socks is for a dog, it's extremely hard for them to let go. They really are going to hold on. And, um, and, I don't know why. I just wanted you to know that. I don't know why. Uh, because you didn't get a benefit of the children's sermon. Now you'll remember that. You won't remember everything else I said. But grab hold of what? Our confession. Of our confession. And, um, and this is the response to the mega high priest. He says, grab hold of, of our confession. He wants us to grab hold and hang on. Now, this requires real action. We can't just sit around. This is not simply hanging happening to us. It doesn't happen to us. He says in a very active verb, grab hold to your confession. Hold fast. Uh, we tend to take the word confession passively. I confess I did it. How many of you have ever done that, right? Yeah, yeah, I confess I did it. I, I, you know, you don't really want to do that, right? I don't ever want to tell anybody because that's usually, if I'm confessing that I did it, it's because I did something wrong. Not that I ever do anything wrong. Elise, I'm always right. Okay. That sounds a bit, doesn't it sound a bit forced though? If I say, oh, I confess, I did it. Or, or, you know, or even lacking force, you know, I confess. And sometimes, you know, I confess, you know, you know, some people, I confess, I love you. Well, yeah, fine. Why do you have to confess that? Why don't you just kind of come right out? And, and that's not the kind of confession here. Um, 
If I'm grabbing hold to hang on, there must be more to confession. And there is. My, my, my son used to use this term confession, this confession, Jesus is Lord, as a protection against false Christianity. You know, you can't confess that Jesus is Lord unless, unless you're, you believe it, right? You can't. Well, you know, it was, to, it was for him, okay, uh, to, to avoid the, the voices that he heard, the false voices that were coming after him saying things. And so, so ignore what I just said. And, um, but simply saying, Jesus is Lord, guarantees nothing. Now, I've spent many years in the Bible Belt, and uh, I, can, I can assure you that there are businesses all over Texas that have signs, uh, their business sign, that has a big, bold letters, Jesus is Lord. At least there used to be. I don't know anymore. Uh, that was probably 20 years ago or so. But they, Jesus is Lord. And their business practices were, well, they were more expensive than anybody else. You know, anybody, do they have a, 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 back in the day, they had Christian yellow pages. And, you know, if they have Christian yellow pages now, they're as outdated as, as any yellow pages. But, um, but you know, and, and you, get, you get that and you go there and all these businesses are supposedly Christian. Well, the price would be higher, almost inevitably. So I wouldn't go to the Christian yellow pages to buy things. You know, the, the sign didn't assure. Sometimes their practice were, practices were decidedly unchristian, particularly in their ethics. Confession. Confession is more about, the, about internal truth than external words. It's more about internal truth than external words. Anybody can say Jesus is Lord. I've heard many people say that. Even the de demons believe it and, and, they're, and they're, they shudder, the Scripture tells us. But it means to be in full agreement with the truth that Jesus is not only Lord, but that He is actually my Lord. He's my Lord that I believe in all that He has done and all that He is. So along with our confession, we now can have a new confidence to draw near to His throne of grace. And one possible, uh, in verse 16, look at verse 16. Verse 16, he says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have confidence to draw near to His throne of grace. One possible translation of this confidence is thought-provoking to me. And, and, I, and I share it with you because I think it helps us understand something here. It could be with freedom of speech. Think about that. My confidence is freedom of speech. When you think about it, freedom of speech only occurs where one feels safe in a trustworthy environment. I can say what I want to say only if I feel safe, and my confession has confidence. I feel safe in the presence of God because Jesus has taken care of everything so I can talk to Him even about the things that I've done wrong, but I particularly can be safe in His presence and confess Jesus. Jesus paid it all. He's taken care of it. Uh, I, I, lately, freedom of speech has been facing some increased limitations in our country. And so we can kind of get a real feel for that. When, when we come before the throne of God, He is prepared to hear any of our issues with grace and favor. He, he doesn't give us unlimited license, don't get me wrong. Instead, He patiently doles out mercy and steers us toward His will. Uh, we must never forget that the basic role of a priest is to bring the weak 
and failing safely into the realm of the perfect. And that is God. We need, we still need a priest, and that priest is Jesus. And he brings us into the presence of the holy, the perfect. And when we experience this redemption, we become perfect before him. Verse 9, by the way, makes it clear in, verse, in chapter 5. Verse 9 makes it clear um, that our response will be to obey him. Our response will be to obey him. Change comes from constant contact with the holy. <laughs> we understand being perfect, that is complete, only in Him. I don't know about perfection from even, even the other elders here, Mike Mazey or, or uh, uh, Jeremy Callie. I, I don't understand being perfect. And some of you who have been around for a while, I don't understand being perfect from you. I understand perfection only as I look at Jesus. When I look at Jesus, then I get it. Then I get it. I understand what perfection is. And we're not sinless, uh, but declared sinless. I'm not sinless, but I'm declared sinless. He's done that. He paid the price. We're not finished. We're not finished. I still have more to race. Paul says, I'm, 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 I'm working towards finishing. I want to finish the race. In fact, he came to the point and said, I have finished. But that was as he was facing death. We're not finished, but we are complete. We're complete in Christ. There's nothing more that has to be done to me. Prior to redemption, being rescued from sin and its penalty, I was powerless, really, to truly obey God. I tried and tried and tried. I don't know about you. I was, I was man, I, was, I loved Jesus from the day I was born, probably, but I could not obey. I could not obey. Until somewhere along the way, I realized I couldn't do anything right without Him. And when he changed me, I still disobeyed, but I do it much more on my own accord. Now I have the freedom and the power of A. I, he obeyed, so I can obey. I really want to obey now. I really do. The, the annual appearance, by the way, uh, of a high priest in the Holy of Holies beyond man's vision has been transformed, completely finished. Into, I mean, sorry, into a completely finished atonement, tearing down the barrier, tearing down that partition that was there before. That's no longer our problem. As a completed person in daily, even moment-by-moment moment, contact with the mega high priest, I am able to move through life holding on tight to my agreement with God. I am able to approach Him freely as a son. After all, after all, he isn't far away. I'm able to obey Him because I know Him well enough to trust Him. Can you do that? Can you do that? Do you trust Him? Let's pray. Father, I, I trust You. And we put this time into Your hands and that, that we've taken. We just pray that, uh, that as we continue our worship, we not just worship a, a God that is distant, but, but a God who has, has, uh, has rescued us in a very special way and become very personal. A God who was tempted and yet did it without sin. A God who sacrificed everything that I might have life. And Lord, we, we come to you at this time with, with joy that we can worship. 
but also that we can come to you with boldness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.